0: On today's weekend review edition of the Total Soccer Show, Ryan and I are going to be breaking down some of the action in Spain and Germany, but a lot of the weekend's results in the Premier League. We talk what Liverpool got right and then get into what's gone wrong at Manchester United. Uh, Here's a hint to paraphrase Frank Costanza, I've got a lot of problems with some people and now you're going to hear about it. Uh, But there are Americans making debuts, Americans performing well, Wolves finding ways to win, City finding ways not to win all that and much much more. But first, I also wanted to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone, right from your phone. So easy. You can spend and earn interest on uninvested cash, and with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn or just looking for a better experience, stop Waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Uh, I think I know what investing is, so I'm going to guess I would be one of the more beginner uh, users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to totalsoccer.robinhood.com. That's totalsoccer.robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. Everybody and welcome to a Weekend Review edition of The Total Soccer Show. I'm your host for this week, Taylor Rockwell. Joining me on the other end of the line is my friend, as always, Mr. Ryan Bailey. Hello, Ryan. Hello, Tay-Tay. How are you this fine day ending with a Y? I I I am swell. It's nice to be back in Richmond, although it's a weird day to be in Richmond. We're recording this on Monday, January 20th. There are lots of guns about a mile away from me.
1: Is that more than usual? Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> at least publicly more than usual at the very least. Um but that's that's not a fun topic. Let's talk about a happier topic. Ryan Bailey, can you give us a kitchen update? How are things with the kitchen?
1: Oh, the kitchen is going very well. There are no builders or workmen in my house right now. I just need some countertops and a sink would be nice. You don't realize how much you miss a sink until you don't have a sink, Taylor. Did you know that?
0: So you don't have counters or a sink in your kitchen.
1: No, no, we just we, we just float, everything's floating magically in the air. And you um, have children, correct? Yeah, it's really hard. We have, we're having to eat out more than I'd hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the only sink we have is like in the utility room, and it's gross. And there's a washing machine next to it. It's not. It's not optimal. It's not optimal.
0: I imagine now. My my, fam- my family when I was young bought a house that needed a bunch of work. We stayed with some friends. It was supposed to last for, I believe, two weeks. We were there for three months. So uh, as long as you're still in your home, I think you're doing fine.
1: This is true, and everything's it's only gone. Slightly terribly over budget,
0: if that makes <laughs> sense as well. All right, well, let's let's uh, help you with that budget. Let's make you some money by talking about all the things the Premier League, right? That's, all that's right. what works well. That is uh, how it, it works. It was a pretty strange weekend of results in the Premier League, starting off with a nil-nil draw for Spurs against Watford. Jose Mourinho didn't like that. Newcastle beat a Christian Pulisic-less side, uh, Chelsea side 1-0. Arsenal-Sheffield draw, as did Man City-Crystal Palace. Wolves somehow pull, pull their game against Southampton back being down 2-0, they win 3-2. We're going to talk about some of those more unpredictable results a bit later on in the show. But first, let's talk about a scoreline that felt somewhat more predictable. Liverpool 2, Manchester United 0. Ryan, I sort of watched this twice. Uh, we were coming back from Baltimore, so Daryl had it on in the car. I did not watch because I was driving, but we had it playing through the speakers, and Daryl was sort of narrating slash analyzing everything that happened. Then I watched it again last night. It was not fun for me. What did you make of this game overall
1: before i get to my answer i want to know more about this car situation sure. so what mm-hmm. he's got an ipad and he, he put it you've wired it to the speakers and he's describing the action on the field to you this sounds very
0: cute well, it's, it's, it was actually really kind of nice, because I can hear the audio, but I was not optimistic, and when we hit the road, it was already 1-0 uh, to Liverpool. So I was sort of like, okay, it's going to take a lot of effort, and it seems kind of unlikely based on those like, first 15 minutes, even though United looked okay. Uh, and so it was sort of cool to have the audio coming through, but having Daryl just be like, oh, that didn't really work. And then I could be like, what's he doing? And he could kind of watch for a little bit and then give me the analysis back. It was, it was a variation of like Cliff's Notes for watching a game. Aww. Yeah, well, you had a better
1: experience than most Man United supporters. That and is definitely true. <laughs> you are you are included in that group, of course. though, being an issue here, uh, Liverpool were tremendous once again. I thought yep. they were absolutely thunderous for about seventy minutes. It looked a bit shaky at the end. It could have been it could have gone either way at the end before the uh, Mo Salah goal at the death. Just better in every in every department. Quicker to every ball. Hungrier and like. The, the the midfield worked so hard. Georgie Bernadon was incredible in this game, and Henderson and Ox and uh, Adam Alana before uh, Oxley Chamberlain came on, all fantastic. If if there, were, if there was better finishing in this Liverpool team, it mm-hmm. could have been five or six 0 at yep. half time. Um, you know, way way better in set piece situations. Really uh, highlighted some of Man United flaws in those set pieces as well. I suppose we can get to that, but. This team is going to... I've got a really good feeling, mm-hmm. once again, that this team's going to win the league.
0: You think so? You think there's yeah. a chance?
1: Yeah, I think, I think there's a great <laughs> chance of that happening. And I'm, I'm, I don't want to rush headfirst into this, Taylor, but I think it's going to happen.
0: I think that's fair. And I think I agree with pretty much everything you said, starting with that Liverpool did seem to sort of tire. United got back into it a little teeny bit more after like the 75th minute or so, which I think is less about Liverpool like giving the game away or not seeing out the game, or even Man United really making that many changes. I think it's just they worked so hard in those first 75 minutes and expended so much yep. energy that they were never really going to be able to keep up at that 100% level the whole time. Uh, and I think Jurgen Klopp did a really smart job with a lot of his substitutions and the way he slowed things down in the final couple minutes on both sides of the half. Um, but the biggest thing for me was the way Liverpool went about sort of breaking down Manchester United because... I did think they sort of did an interesting thing tactically. Uh, Ryan, can you talk for a moment, if you've got it in front of you, if you don't mind, about like sort of how Manchester United came out in this game? Because it was different than the usual sort of 4-2-3-1 we've seen from them.
1: Yeah, so three at the back, 3-4-1-2 here with Maguire, Shaw and Lindelof in the back. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and I suppose they were trying to counter the uh, the midfield force of Liverpool by having a, a sort of a middle five of one but sucker mm-hmm. playing sort of a wing back and Brandon, Brandon Williams. Uh, more on him shortly uh, yeah. <laughs> on the left side, and Matic uh, and Fred um, uh, and Pereira in front of them, and then Hammers uh, uh, and Marcial in front of them. So yeah, a little bit of a different system, I suppose. What, what they did in the uh, the the corresponding fixture, the, the draw earlier this season, was try and limit. Liverpool in the wings and kind Mm. of they nullified them
0: and uh, not so much in this one. If only it were the real James, that might have have helped a little bit more for Man United. (laughs) But yes, I think it, it worked for those opening 10 minutes. I do think Manchester United sort of came out aggressive felt like maybe they had this game plan that would surprise Liverpool a little bit and I think we're also aware that you kind of have to raise your game because Liverpool are very capable of blitzing you early and often but what I think they were going for is uh, as you said Juan Basaka is sort of a right wing back Brandon Williams is sort of a left wing back with Luke Shaw as one of the three center backs and I think it was sort of focus on the left side slow down Mohamed Salah slow down any sort of attacks through there and then break on the opposite side through Daniel James or maybe look for Anthony Martial over the top. And I think that sort of worked early on. That seemed to be the pass they were looking for, the kind of direct play. And then essentially Liverpool sort of dealt with that by condensing the middle as they are wont to do but then they just looked for big switches usually from Trent Alexander-Arnold to Andy Robertson down the left with Daniel James pushed forward with Juan Bissaka staying back a bit more they kept finding tons of space and I saw Firmino drift yeah. over as well so now you have this long ball to Robertson he'd sort of like one-touch it into Firmino Firmino would play it back and then Man United were sort of torn apart and it mm. felt like, Jose, like uh, not Jose Mourinho forgive me oh under Solskjaer kind of had the chess pieces set up and was like ha, what are you going to do now and they just sort of made one move And we're like, well, checkmate. That's basically it. And from about the 11th minute on when I was rewatching, it sort of became clear that United had exhausted that creative sort of approach. And instead, Liverpool had pretty much figured it out. And from then on, as you said, it really could have been 4-0 or so by halftime.
1: That's a bold interpretation, calling it a creative approach. I think, to
0: be yeah, honest. and a, a somewhat appro- It's definitely an approach. It qualifies as an approach. We'll say that it was
1: an approach technically, <laughs> but I think, yeah, what you described there, what Liverpool did with the long balls coming from from the fullbacks and stuff, that's something we've seen before, and it's mm-hmm. something I think that Oleganosasio could have prepared for better. I think there's lots of things that Oleganosasio could have done better, uh, no less with the uh, with the zonal marking
0: on set yes. pieces. Can we talk about? Uh, let's talk about that. So, so okay. if you don't mind, uh, what w- what did you see there? Because I. Could not understand how Virgil van Dyke, the most obvious aerial threat for Liverpool, was so open on that first goal and was kind of open several other uh, times on set pieces and or on free kicks and corners. What did you make of Manchester United or what did you see Manchester United trying to do to deal with Liverpool?
1: Uh, not an awful lot, I think, is the honest truth. They were doing the <laughs> zonal marking thing, but just not doing it very well. Like, yep. Not even covering the zones they were supposed to be Mm-mm. covering, which is the idea of zonal marking. The clue is in the name. And then you look at that first goal, version Virgil van dijk Keder, which is an absolute steam train, and he's coming in there. That's a very hard thing to stop. But they didn't really set themselves up for success no. in stopping that. So we had we had um sort Harry Maguire might be the most natural fit to try and match up against Virgil van Dyke in that situation, right? We know how dangerous he is in set pieces. He was kind of blocked off by Joe Gomez, I think it was. And then you've got sort of Van Dyke able to bust past Fred and sort of tower over Brandon Williams. Mm-hmm. Brandon Williams is five foot six. He's yep. the man next to Virgil van Dyke when the ball comes in. Virgil van Dyke Is taller than five foot six, Uh, and 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 Fred is also a lot shorter than Virgil Van Dyke. These two men having five Five foot seven. seven. There you go. Mm. These two men having the responsibilities to stop him and his power. And it just seemed like not only were the 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 zones assigned wrong, it just seemed that system did not suit what was happening in that situation. And to me, there's a there's that picture of uh, of Van Dyke putting the header in and he's head and shoulders using Brandon yep. Williams as a stepping stone. Yes, he you is. He's got a kid wearing a number 53 shirt against the best defender in the world. And I think that 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 summarizes so much of what this derby, not derby, this rivalry has become mm. and how the balance of power has changed. Basically, when, when, when that team came out, when that team sheet came out, um, I, it, I think it was Carl Anker who, who tweeted the team sheet and was like, "Um, okay, and the penny kind of dropped me there because you look at, this, look! Look at that team sheet, Taylor. Look at it. I know you've seen it before, mm-hmm. but this is a team that, since Alex Ferguson, since Ed Woodward was, uh, was came in seven years ago, they spent eight hundred and fifty million
0: pounds. Yeah, that's over a billion dollars. Over a billion later. dollars. I want to reiterate that. Yeah,
1: yeah. And the the squad is still full of people with squad numbers that look like lottery numbers. It's got kids in there. It's got there's no there's no premium players in there. Your no. best player barely even wants to play for you, and
0: he's not mm-hmm. there. I want to talk about is, that in a moment because I do think. I started to wonder, uh, again, I tend to get a little conspiratorial at times, or at least I come up with theories, Ryan. I think I've, I've, I'm stumbling upon a theory about why maybe Paul Pogba doesn't want to be there anymore, aside from quality and the uh, overall state of the club. But I want to stick on. with the, uh, the set piece for a moment, because you're absolutely right about the height differences. The other thing that I, I tweeted out, I, according to Google, so you know may, maybe they're not up to date, who knows. But I also wanted to note that uh, Brendan Williams is, I believe, 139 pounds. Fred, according to Google, is 137 pounds. Virgil van Dyke is 203 pounds. Uh, notable noticeable differences there. It so, doesn't I th- have my weight on it, does it, by the way? It does not. It, it, it has you listed that. as Svelte. That's all it says about you. <laughs> I, I Googled that too. Um, well, I think the idea was that those two players were sort of supposed to interrupt the runs a little bit to slow down joe gomez to slow down virgil van dyke but Mm -hmm. they never really engaged and that was a very common thing for united in this game in my opinion uh both from set pieces from just the regular run of play no one really seemed to want to step and put bodies on liverpool until maybe the 65th minute and then that's when you saw united have a few more chances play their way into the game a little bit um and on these set pieces instead what I would see is Virgil van Dijk sort of after that goal happens has just he keeps trying to put himself on Brandon Williams even when Fred is with him and then in the second half when Nemanja Matic is assigned with tasking him again it took Solskjaer 45 minutes to think hey let's put the tall guy on the tall guy Um, even then he still finds a way to be on Brandon Williams because he recognizes as you said he can literally and figuratively use him as a stepping stone and that he just gives him a little tap as he goes to win the header for the goal and then just creates that separation to get up in the air to win the header to score the Goal. Um, But I also thought this was Liverpool again. Forgive me for going very long on this, but I found it really fascinating. This was again Liverpool sort of seeing what Manchester United were doing, making a quick adjustment. Credit to Jurgen Klopp or credit to whoever identified it. But when they take their first corner, Manchester United have about six players or so between the first Liverpool attacker and the corner. So I think they're set up to defend a driven ball to the near post. That seems to be what they think Liverpool are going to do. And it's what they do a couple times in the first. First 20 minutes or so, one from either side, but then, as the, uh, the ambulance rides by and agrees with me, I'm going to assume, but then Absolutely. when it comes time for the Van Dyke goal, they're still set up that way, but now the ball is lofted to the back post, and it goes over the head of all of those first six defenders, and it kind of negates that, and at the back post, it's a, I believe, 5v4 for Liverpool. So they've essentially yeah. adjusted, found a way to gain numerical superior, superiority, and then physical superiority as well when it comes to Van Dyke versus Fred and Brandon Williams.
1: Well, definitely their fiscal superiority, and uh, you're building on your point about sort of Liverpool were first to every ball. They yes. they were just so much sharper, and I think another example of that is the Firmino disallowed goal mm-hmm. with the foul lot the the, the the alleged foul on David de Gea with uh, uh, Virgil van Dijk back sort of backing into de Gea. Yep. And sort of making the point after the game that I didn't raise my arms. I don't know necessarily why that's a foul. That's fine. I can, I, can get a lot, I can get on board with it being a foul and we have to protect the goalkeepers. But David De Gea did not do enough there. He was not good enough meeting that high ball.
0: It's literally so why, why you're big. supposed to raise your knee. It's why you see goalkeepers raise right. that knee up in the air when they make that catch to make sure they've got that protection, to make sure the attacker can't get that close to be able to cause that level of disruption. But not only was there sort of a lack of
1: desire in, in De Gea going to meet that ball... But if you watched when the ball dropped, yeah, there was like the Man United players. It's like they stood still for a couple of seconds, like waiting for the whistle. You don't do that because Liverpool very much carried on with it, and Firmino buried it in beautiful fashion. Mm-hmm. And it just, it just that was another in- indicator of how much you know that Liverpool were quicker on the second ball every time. They were, they would just seemed sharper all over the field, particularly in United's own home third. Yep. They just seemed really slow. They were just a bit dazed a lot of the time. It seemed.
0: It absolutely did, and I think part of that was because you have this Liverpool team that have played so well together, so consistently, they know the patterns of play, they know the movement, but they're also not married to where they're supposed to be playing. And I think you look at the movement of Roberto Firmino, and sometimes he stays central, sometimes he stretches the back line, sometimes he drops in, sometimes he intentionally vacates space to open up for other players. But every time he's doing one of those things, it feels like the rest of his teammates know exactly what he's doing and also what they're doing. So when he opens up space, somebody else fills that space. When he stays high, somebody else is making a run in behind or making a run to support. And it you can just see the sort of uh, rotations, I think, or rotaciones is what one, uh, Juan Carlos Osorio calls it. But you can see the patterns there <laughs> that they all know how to exploit. They all know how to kind of consistently find space. Yeah. And with that said, they, as you said, they missed so many clear-cut chances. They have, uh, what, uh, a goal disallowed, two goals disallowed, I think. They've got, they hit the post. It could have been much, much worse which is telling because if there were again that Manchester United could have gotten a result, it's, it's only one nil until, what, the 93rd? There was a chance here, but I think United, for their, their lack of squad depth, for the, their lack of fight, aside from maybe those 15 minutes in the second half and maybe the first 10, uh, and I do think once they started trying to match up with that midfield from Liverpool, it was a little bit better. But overall, I think this was just a, a very clear representation of where Liverpool are and how strong they've become, yeah. and the opposite of that being the case for Manchester United.
1: So, yeah, and it, d- it definitely could have ended in a 1-1 draw, maybe if Man United hadn't been playing their strikers with broken backs in previous games. Uh, I'm sure we can touch on that later, but I've got another, yeah. another question for you, Taylor. Mm-hmm. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. So um, Jonathan Wilson in The Guardian last week wrote a piece saying that he's simply not a good enough manager for Manchester United, and I think he had some win percentage stats in there that Solskjaer is at about 48% win percentage. Mourinho was sacked with a win percentage of about fifty-three mm-hmm. percent, and uh, United are scoring more goals under Solskjaer, but they're conceding a lot more as well. And I, I can kind of buy into that argument that he's not good enough and you know not experienced enough. But also, he's got the crutch of you know the, the poor investment, the, the lack of players coming in, and all the damage that Edward Wood's done. And apparently, according to Gary Neville, they've got the second highest wage bill in the world at the yep. moment. That's bonkers,
0: and, and, and certainly in the league.
1: Yeah, certainly in the league. And he said, you know, that's uh, and it is kind of unforgivable that they're in this situation. It's unforgivable they put out this starting eleven against Liverpool in January 2020, since having all the investment they've had since Ferguson left. And I think it's unforgivable also that, you know, not there's not more fuss being made in the transfer market right now. Why? Yeah. I mean, Edison Cavani today um, says he wants to leave Paris Saint-Germain. Why are Man United not at the forefront saying we'll take him? It's all like Spurs and other clubs who are being linked with him. N- nothing of Man United who clearly need some support and some high quality up top at the moment. So, you know, it's all things like how they're not attracting the main players and I can get all the off-the-field stuff. But my question for you, which I started this question a long time ago, I realised, but... It's okay. we, think- I,
0: I have been the king of being long-winded today. <laughs> so you have at it, my friend. Do you think Oli Z- Galizovsky is good enough? Uh, um... I will answer your question directly and then I will explain it. I will say no, probably not. I do not think he is good enough. That said, I do not think he is the major problem at Manchester United right now, so I don't really think it makes sense to sack him because, and, and this is the, the amazing thing about where Manchester United are, and I mean that sincerely, but maybe not in a good way, is that you, like, we have said in the context of this conversation, in the context of this review, they have spent over a billion dollars, 840 million pounds. They have the highest wage bill in the league. They're around close to 300 million pounds a season. And yet, they somehow don't have players. And that is staggering to me that you're absolutely right with that said there have been injuries there have been like uh it's like squad problems you don't have Pogba you don't have McTominay now you don't have Rashford and suddenly that is this like injury crisis where you're always going to have injuries but because they have spent so poorly and done so poorly in their recruitment and in their overall strategy of recruitment I think it explains a lot of where they are right now so I think you could see the sort of tactical naivete of Olegona Solskjaer in this game in his inability to adjust But I also think you look at the bench for Manchester United and you've got Juan Mata, Mason Greenwood, uh, Diogo Diogo Dalot, Jesse Lingard in there. I think uh, I saw the stat, which hurt me. It physically hurt me that Allison now has more assists than Jesse Lingard in the last like uh, 16 months or something like that. That's not great. And like, where are the goals coming from in that team? Maybe Mason Greenwood. But when you're looking at a youngster who's come through the academy and is still really, really young and very inexperienced, it, it doesn't really, really make sense to me. And so yeah. I think Solskjaer, if everything else were working well, would probably be the one to, to, uh, to fall on the sword to get the sack. But I, I really think it comes down to the way that club is being run, yeah. particularly by Ed Woodward, who we should note is the highest paid executive in the league. He makes three million pounds a year.
1: Oh, that's fun, isn't it? I enjoy that very much. And is it is it Woodward in, in his spending or is it in structurally? I mean, still, it seems like this director of football thing hasn't happened. And
0: So this is the other thing that, uh, since since you've asked, Ryan, uh, you better buckle up because I'm going to try to make this tight, but we'll see how it goes. The issue is that Ed Woodward isn't going to be fired. They're not going to get rid of him because he helped that he was instrumental in the Glazers being able to take over Manchester United. And he is very good at what he does when it comes to the commercial side. He makes the Glazers money. And Say Manchester United miss out on the Champions League, they lose $80 million next season... I think they would rather do that than risk spending 100 million pounds on a player who might not come good again. And I think that is a huge problem, that they've had such a scattershot approach that now Ed Woodward is there. He doesn't really seem like he has a vision for how he wants the team to play, how he wants to go about recruiting players. So he was willing to spend money. Now he doesn't really want to do that. And you're in this situation of there's probably money to spend, but do the, do the owners really want to go out and spend that? I don't think so. And so I think you can see the way he drags his feet on a lot of deals. I think he's kind of indecisive when it comes to making football decisions, from hiring a director of football, mm. there have been a bunch of names mentioned, to even, it's the Sun, so you know, big old grain of salt there, but there was the report in the Sun yesterday that uh, United had been in for Celtics, like physio and his team, his medical team, which makes sense, given their injuries, uh, but after three months of kind of back and forth, and then silence, he just withdrew. The Celtic yeah. physio withdrew because it was taking too long. And you look a lot of manchester united transfer sagas lately that seems to be the case uh fernandez uh, uh, Manuel fernandez currently being a very good example of that
1: i mean is is it a case that the best people in the game maybe don't even want to touch man united anymore i think like say like the director of football roles say someone like steve walsh who was basically the scout who built leicester and worked at Chelsea for many years. He, Sir Alex Ferguson wanted him to be director of football and said he's like the most influential person in the Premier League. He's found a load of players and very, very credible uh, resume. But he's not there. And nope. they haven't hired him and, and, and no one else has been hired. Is it, is it that the, 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 you know, they're a kryptonite to good people?
0: I, I wonder that. I do wonder that. I should add, uh, they're a kryptonite to me remembering people's names. Not Manuel Fernandez, Bruno Fernandez. I apologize yeah. for that. Um, but <laughs> and, his, and his value just went up another two million. Of course, well, of course. Uh, but that won't matter because I, I, I feel like this is another one that's going to end up not happening, but we shall see. But what, but, do you even want it to happen? It's like a hundred million now. It's, yeah, it's n- like, are they not? Probably not. Just- not?
1: and they're not just making fun of Man United at the moment.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I think it's it's exacerbated by the, the injury situation that I think if, if you're a club, you know that Man United are not doing well. You know they probably have money to spend, even if they don't really want to spend it, and you know that they need to spend it at the same time, so you can probably jack that price up. Um, but I think you look at sort of the way some of those injuries have occurred. Let's talk Marcus Rashford. Uh, you mentioned him uh, earlier. I'm going to give a big old thumbs down to the Man United... Whomever, if it's only going to soulshare for playing him, if it's the medical team for clearing him, I don't really care. But playing Marcus Rashford with a stress fracture in his spine, uh, which according to Henry Winter, uh, quote, Rashford was carrying a single stress fracture in his back, now has a double stress fracture after the Wolves game. He's expected to be out for two to three months. He also has a piece of floating bone in his ankle, requiring non-intrusive surgery to remove. End quote. Uh, that's not great to play a player with a, you know, a fracture in his spine is an odd choice, but. I- I think it shows the lack of depth they have. Um, It's also worth noting that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer came out, was asked about whether Rashford had uh, had one of the fractures before the Wolves replay. He said, no, it happened, both of those. I don't want to go too much into detail, but it happened in that game. So he's saying both of those fractures occurred in the Wolves game. Henry Winter apparently has uh, evidence to say that it happened before. But then it makes me wonder, like, if they're trying to get players to play with pretty bad injuries, you look at what happened with Paul Pogba. He's kind of rushed back. He's brought back in against Rochdale. He plays 90 minutes when he probably didn't need to. He re-injures himself. Now he's out for a prolonged period. And that would be the other thing that I would worry about is a player like Paul Pogba, who there were already questions about, does he want to be there? Does he want to leave? Is he frustrated by the situation? If you don't have faith in the medical staff to keep you healthy and to look out for your best interests, because maybe if they're letting Marcus Rashford play with a broken spine, that's not necessarily what they're doing. I think that's probably another sort of nail in the coffin of players wanting to move to Manchester United.
1: And to top it off, Sergio Romero put his Lamborghini into the wall of a highway. Uh, oh today, boy! Which is oh not boy! Fun. He's well, okay, fortunately. But uh, I mean, th- th- there's a lot of bad bad juju going on at Man United. And the mm. Independent reporting on the Rashford thing that um, his back was causing him significant dis- discomfort before the Wolves game. He even found it difficult to sit down when he attended a personal event at the hotel football, um, mm-hmm. the hotel I think owned by the Nevilles by Old Trafford, and that's in the days after the win over Norwich. So. There was clearly some uh, inference that he was hurt at that point.
0: Yeah. So uh, I want to ask you then, you've got Marcus Rashford injured, uh, Harry Kane also out with injury. We should add that uh, I watched a video kind of explaining the injury that Marcus Rashford has suffered and sort of what it will mean for him. And the, the biggest thing for me, and it's a double stress fracture uh, that comes from repre- repetitive stress from uh, overextension or rotation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's essentially the way the video explained it, if you're not familiar with this injury, because I was not. It's like, imagine just bending a paperclip back and forth over and over and over again, and that's kind of the stress on your spine. Eventually, that's going to snap. He doesn't have like a full break, obviously, but if you keep kind of playing and don't let it rest that's when the kind of major injuries could occur, although this could potentially be a major injury. But it means he can't move. Like, the way you deal with this, it's non-surgical. Uh, the, the ankle is non-invasive surgery. I don't know what that means. But this one is non-surgical. It just means you've got to rest, you've got to stay immobile, which means no real training, not a lot of preparation. If he is out for the full three months, if Harry Kane stays out injured, Ryan, are you, are you a little nervous for England at the Euros?
1: Well, I am anyway, yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: but, uh, I, I'm, I'm relieved by the fact that Danny Ings is going to be Goal there we go. You're 2020 anyway, so this is going
0: to be okay. All right, that, that makes me happy. <laughs> uh, and I think Liverpool fans obviously should be happy. The final thing I should say about this game, we've kind of gone deep on Manchester United because we've talked a lot about Liverpool, and we've kind of been saying it consistently for a while because they've been consistent for a while. They're an amazing team. Uh, Wijnaldum was phenomenal in this game. I thought Firmino was excellent as well, even though he doesn't score. Uh, that front three missed some chances, but overall just caused so many problems. The back line was disciplined. Allison was great and his distribution was excellent from top to bottom i thought this was just a comprehensive performance from liverpool uh klopp said i think he was happy with 85 to 90 percent of the game and i think that percentage makes sense to me
1: yeah definitely and he's obviously referring to the last sort of 10-15 minutes or so as the less happy more more cautious time for liverpool but you can't fault this performance that's seven premier league games with clean sheets now uh, 16 points clear I think it's going to be okay
0: for them, you know? I think I they're think, going to be all right. I think it will, too. So I think yeah. they will be looking to jet off at the end of the season to, I'm sure, celebrate their first Premier League title in 30 years. Uh, Man United, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, some of their may- maybe injured players are going to be looking to get away from, from England to rest oh, I see and maybe recover, going, to I see where uh, going. To lead up to the Euros where they will, again, need to pack some luggage. Uh, yeah. And if they do need to do that, then they could use today's sponsor, Away. Uh, our friends at Away create thoughtful products built for the way modern travelers see the world they started with the perfect suitcase they now offer a range of essentials all of which will make your travels more seamless than ever
1: everyone has a unique travel style tailor which is why away offers a range of suitcases made of different materials like polycarbonate aluminum i think they spelled aluminium wrong there and durable (laughs) nylon a variety of colors and two carry-on sizes for whomever you are and for whatever you need to pack away luggage has the stuff, luggage, that works for you, how you travel. <laughs>
0: um, I, I do not have any away luggage. My my, my dear friend, Daryl Grove, does. Uh, he used his away when we went to Baltimore. And I have to say, I was carrying like two soccer bags, the sort of like, you know, uh, soccer bags with like the two pockets on either side, and you mm-hmm. usually store equipment in them. That was what I packed with. Daryl had his his sleek suitcase that rolls easily, but is lightweight and is durable, so it lasted the whole convention, had no problems. He has wheels on it, so you can wheel it through the uh, the crowded streets of Baltimore and be nice and comfortable as I was lugging uh, my bags on either side of me, kind of like a saddle horse. And in that moment, I was fairly (laughs) jealous of Daryl Grove and his away experience.
1: Um, the, the Away suitcase, is. I think it's really important. Like the, the, You know how you say every man should have a really nice watch? I also think every man should have a really nice suitcase. Or person, I should say. Every person should have a really nice suitcase. And that's a really good, important thing, having the 360-degree uh, spinner wheels on the bottom of the case. Uh, that's a game-changer for me, definitely. I, my carry-on always has that now. And there's also... Some really cool stuff of the way, like the little functions they have. Like, you've got some with uh, some of their cases have charges in them, and some of them have like these little uh, interior organization systems. Like, um, um, there's one which has got like a hidden laundry bag in it, right. that separates your dirty clothes out. No more carrying uh, plastic bags around, which is what my modus operandi has been for most of the time.
0: <laughs> You're nothing but classy, Ryan Bailey. Uh, they've got uh, products designed to last a lifetime. There's a 100-day trial uh, on everything Away makes and there's free shipping and returns uh, in the contiguous U.S., Europe, Canada, Australia so you can try Away uh, and if you like it, you can stick with it. You probably will. And if you don't, then you can send it back and uh, there will be no hard feelings. So to get your suitcase and shop other travel essentials, visit awaytravel.com slash TSS. One more time, That's awaytravel.com slash TSS. Thank you very much to Away for sponsoring today's episode and making me feel underpacked throughout the trip, making Daryl's travel experience very comfortable. Um, Daryl was not very comfortable uh, for a while in the Southampton game uh, versus Wolverhampton. Southampton go up 2-0. Daryl was kind of sad. Then Wolves end up pulling it back. 3-2 Three-two away on the road. Uh, this is a Wolves team that had been struggling. There were mm. questions about their kind of the, the number of miles on the legs, how much they had played, and yet they're able to find a, win, a way to win. Ryan, have you have you got any thumbs or thoughts from this game?
1: Uh, a thumbs up in general for Wolves, and they they showed some Brendan Rodgers-style character yeah. in this game. I think you'd say because, as you say, this is also their first win of 2020. They for their first win in six games in all competitions as well, and. I don't know what Nuno said at half time in that locker room but it worked. It worked because I mean they to to go from two two goals down away from home against arguably the Premier League's form team in Southampton which is what they are mm. or what they have been. Um uh, I think that's really impressive and that's shown a lot of fortitude and Wolves are just really fun to watch. And looking at that starting eleven, and then looking at the Man United one, and I know every day of the Mm -hmm. week which one I want to watch every week, frankly. Yep.
0: Uh, Thanks for uh, pouring salt in that one again, Ryan. Appreciate that. (laughs) Uh, To your point about what did Nuno say, I have to believe based on all of his interviews and the way he sort of conducts himself, I'm not going to do the accents, but I like to think that it was just he walked into the locker room, he let everybody settle down, and then he just said, like, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. And then walked oh, out. And that was all it no. would take, because he has that sort of whisper-dad whisper approach that you kind of don't want to disappoint, and you feel like if you've let him down, it's the worst thing possible. And I have to think that it really worked when it comes to Raul uh, Jimenez and Adama mm. Traore. I've got big thumbs up for both of them. To Jimenez, uh, being involved in all three goals, he makes a, a great driving run for the first one. He doesn't score, he doesn't assist, but I think he his presence pulls defenders out, he gets in the box, he kind of shows that level of intent. Uh, but then he does score the penalty, and one of my favorite things I always loved the way players sort of celebrate or react when they've scored. This is the equalizing penalty after being 2-0 down. You would forgive him for running off and really being uh, really, really ecstatic to have equalized. Instead, he calmly takes the penalty, dispatches it easily, runs to the net, picks the ball out, gives the crowd a kind of like come on fist pump, and then runs back and puts the ball down and gets mm. it back underway. And that sort of level of focus is what was needed, especially since uh, it ends up being the decider as Jimenez the, Jimenez excuse me then gets the winner. And I think just how good he has been for them, how consistent he has been. I think like 19 goals and 9 assists or something like that uh, this season is incredibly impressive for a player who I don't know if we have the highest expectations coming in, but we certainly do now.
1: Yeah, and that that Wolves front line is very exciting. And Jimenez, um, I, I think he definitely must have been a ho- horse whispered at halftime, as you say, because he, he had a few chances in the first half that he didn't bury. And I think he's one of those players that he's positioning might be even better than his finishing. He scores lots of simple goals because he puts himself in the right place at the right time all the time. I think that's probably fair. And you could almost say the same thing about Neto as well.
0: Yes, yeah. I mean, I think it's like you do the you do the really hard work early to get yourself in the right position late so that you don't have to do as much. And look at that, like, look at the third goal for Wolves. I mean, he starts it with the sort of, uh, to credit to Adama Traor, who actually starts it by bringing it, bringing it down and then turning and sprinting into space. Jimenez yeah. with the kind of lobbed ball over the top, but it comes from inside his own half. And then he's on his horse. It's another 60-yard sprint to get into the box, and that was why I brought up his run for the first goal, because it's a pretty similar run for this goal, but because he's there, because he hasn't just been like, oh, that's a good enough ball, let see what adama does but instead <laughs> adama does i think is what i just said there uh he then makes that <laughs> run gets into position and then he is able to finish very very well it's a great finish but he also gets himself in a spot where he has space to be able to kind of pick a spot has the time to strike it cleanly gets his footing right and gets that winning goal yeah i, I was really really impressed by his performance and, especially in the second half
1: and on the 2-1 goal him and it, uh uh which, who, who scored that one? That was Neto, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a really nice team goal where Jimenez sort of put the ball oh, down yeah, to uh, It was Neto
0: for the first goal, I think. Yeah, so it was his first goal. The so, second.
1: So, yeah. so the 2-1 goal. So yeah, where Jimenez puts the ball down to Troyer on the right, who puts it into Neto in the box. And at first, I was ready to shout at Cedric Suarez for completely letting Neto go in the area when he was kind of the yeah, only two players in the box. But then I realized mm-hmm. it was Neto getting himself in a really good position and making it impossible for Cedric to cover him. So I I think that was a really good example of how how their movement is very good. And by the way, for the penalty, which VAR overturned the referee's decision of uh, Johnny getting (laughs) completely sandwiched by two defenders, why was that not given straight away?
0: I can only think of two things. Well, three things. One, uh, because the referee hates Wolves. That's a possibility. Seems less likely. Two is that maybe he was doing the thing in which he thought, maybe it's a penalty, but I'm not going to give it, and then we'll let VAR see if I was right or wrong. Like Maybe that's a sort of like, I'm just going to let it go to VAR. The other one that I heard that I've seen some fans argue for was that because... Like, like Johnny has taken a heavy touch and then sort of I I think it's basically that like it's not the defender who's like making the contact with him, but it's like a secondary player didn't really make that much sense to me. But there was some argument for like the way the contact happened wasn't necessarily intentional and therefore not a foul. But to me, that doesn't really make any sense to me. It was definitely a foul and the referee just got it wrong.
1: It, to me, it was the ball kept rolling, and when he was completely <laughs> squished between two Southampton shirts, but I couldn't it was, see any other way.
0: It's like in the war movie when there's the big explosion, and then like the helmet comes rolling out of the explosion. <laughs> That's what it looked like. It was like Johnny went in, the ball kept going, Johnny did not come out. Yeah, so Johnny did not that... come marching home to the goal.
1: <laughs> Poor Johnny. Well, Johnny, hope we'll keep marching on in the next few weeks because it is a tricky little yeah. fixture list that Wolves have got coming up. Their next games: Tete, Liverpool, Man United, Leicester an Espanol in the Europa League and you know we've been saying how um, Wolves looked a bit tired going into this one and they were tired I mean Raul Jimenez looked pretty gassed for a lot of this game mm-hmm. admittedly apart from when he turned it on for uh, to, to get the goals uh and that you know they, they get they had an extra FA Cup game they've got this Europa League campaign to worry about I think they're gonna have to do a bit more spending in January yeah. are they not
0: I think I think they can rest some players against Manchester United. That should be fine. Well, they, they, for get, them.
1: they get a little break, yeah, in, in two weeks' time for <laughs> Man United. But otherwise, it's a pretty tricky. Um... <laughs> and they must be they, play, they every week it seems like they play Man United I'm kind of sick of these two teams playing each it's other a little I know strange. it's a TSS derby but uh, oh come on it happens so often now
0: It's. I mean they do it for us it's very kind of them Um. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned they might need to strengthen uh, a player they obviously want to hold on to is Adama Triorite who mm. just does so many things so very well uh, his, his control in the lead up to the third goal where he brings the ball down but then he's able to get on the end of it he's got the pace to outrun defenders there are so many different times when you'd see the defender think they're going to win the tackle think they're going to get the ball cleanly and then he just has that little touch and then accelerates away but then plays a good ball keeps the ball under control i think they're going to be desperate to hold on to him but is this a player who you think clubs in need of an attacker who maybe have the budget should be going after
1: is is he the finished article is my question mm-hmm. because i had him painted as a very fast and uh, quite technical but also not a lot of control whereas this game proved that wrong because as you say for that third goal, the, the great control and the pullback for him there's and. Have I just painted him wrong there because I feel like he's not he's not quite a hundred percent I mean he's not due for a very, very top team. He could go Man United, but not like a really good team.
0: I actually think you're absolutely right. I think that that's a player that especially with the way Ole Gunnar Solskjaer seems to want to play on the break, especially with the injury to Marcus Rashford, but the relative inexperience of Daniel James. He has a great opportunity to put Man United ahead early with the ball across, but he plays it behind. I wonder if Adamo plays that ball a little more cleanly, if maybe that's a goal for United. So that would be a player, except that I think he's probably uh, even more expensive than Bruno Fernandez. So uh, maybe we won't make uh, Daryl Grove too sad, and we'll just let uh, Adama Trieri stay with Wolves until the end of the season. Sorry, uh, where I'm sure they'll be pleased, but maybe in terms of hosts who also might be a little bit sad. Daryl's happy, I'm sad. Ryan, how are you feeling after Manchester City drew 2-2 at home with Crystal Palace?
1: Uh, this game gave us the best tweet of the weekend from Mr. Gary Lineker. The Palace have announced Megan and yep. Harry have renounced their titles. Meanwhile, Palace have announced Man City have renounced theirs. Oh. <laughs> And this was, let's be fair, this was a really big point for Man City in their fight for second place with Leicester City. Absolutely. So we'll see how that one uh, <laughs> unfolds in the coming weeks, but... An interesting game we know we know Palace are very hard to break down and full credits, and we know that Palace have given man city problems uh was it last season they beat them as well was it when was yeah, the Townsend so. ridiculous goal was that last I think season it was last before? season yeah right so they gave, they they've definitely given them problems before it definitely definitely
0: was because that was a lot of the narrative was like can they do it again? Can they find right. a way to embarrass man city again
1: there you go and it, it's it just you know <laughs> I wasn't terribly surprised that this was the end result, I think. And there was a lot of uh, City uh, had a lot of good chances. I think Kevin De Bruyne had a really good free kick that hit the underside of the bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you could see that City were trying to sort of play wide all game. But Palace were having none of it and full cool credit to them.
0: Yeah, full credit to them, full credit to Jank uh, Tosun, who I have thumbs up for, for making his uh, debut and making the most of his debut for Crystal Palace. Uh, he, yeah. he moves there in January, and I think on loan, and makes yep. the most of it by scoring the goal to uh, put Palace ahead 1-0. But then just his movement, his sort of looming threat, he has the, the, the other great opportunity where he brings the ball down and shoots kind of in the same fluid motion. That could have been uh, a brace for him, and instead it saved, but I thought him coming in maybe is the kind of ingredient that Crystal Crystal Palace have been missing. It seems like he's gonna sort of has hit the ground running and will really help elevate their performance overall. And this is the Crystal Palace team who are already in ninth, already on thirty points. So we wouldn't expect them to be anywhere near the relegation zone. But uh, I think he will certainly uh, help keep them anywhere close to that.
1: Yeah, and interesting how um, Pep Guardiola had a rare case of digging out his own team for a fault, yes. Let's talk about uh, that for the for the ninetieth minute equaliser from Fernandinho. The own goal there. Um, he had a sort of. Uh, he was very disappointed with the way Zaha was able to sort of um, run down the run yep. down the uh, flank. It was a decision, said Pep. It was a wrong decision, and we're going to solve it and improve it. In this situation, we cannot let them run in this counter attack. And it seemed to me when I was trying to look over look through it and see what Pep was angry about. It's either Rodri or Cancelo, which he's angry with, because Rodri kind of goes too far forward with his challenge to the halfway line and lets Zaha in behind him. But also Cancelo's a bit too far forward, and both of whom are sort of yeah. caught unaware and Zaha gets in the space behind them.
0: And then I think uh, from there, it's compounded by John Stones, who had a really rough game. Yeah. Uh, Sam Lee for The Athletic wrote uh, a pretty damning piece in which he, I guess he was he was right there to hear Pep Guardiola's instructions throughout the game. But most of them were less instructions and more so screaming at John Stones for doing the wrong thing pretty much every time. Yeah. And so I think with that in mind, Stones doesn't want to concede a penalty. He doesn't want to get a red card. He doesn't want to engage too much and risk making too much contact and thus conceding a foul. So he kind of stands off and stands off. He doesn't and he keeps giving Zaha space to sort of dictate the run of the play. Mm-hmm. And because of that, he's never really feeling that pressure. He's able to sort of stay calm and do what he wants, even if maybe what he wants to do is not necessarily bang it off of the shin of Fernandinho, but that is what he ends up doing. And I think Fernandinho, I'm surprised you haven't mentioned him yet, Ryan, because you have been wary of him as a center back of yeah. late. Uh, I'm Rick Laporte being gone has not helped with City's defense. And here, Fernandinho does well to get back goal side. Sort of. Because he gets goal side of Connor Wickham, uh, but then it goes off of Fernandinho in for the equalizer for the own goal, but he first loses Connor Wickham. He gets on the wrong side of him and is so focused on getting goal side that he sort of loses track of both the ball coming in from Zaha and a little bit of where Connor Wickham is, and so as he's trying to get back into position and work so hard... He's not really ready for when the ball comes in, and I think that's a huge reason why that ball ends up in the back of the net for City. And I do just wonder if, if that is a centre-back with more experience, with a little bit more pace and a little bit more physicality. Does does he intervene? Does he clear the ball away? Or not even kind of allow that threat to occur in the first place?
1: Yeah, that's an excellent point. And I will say of, of the Fernandinho-Stones combination, I think right now that's the best combination they have. As as much as I, I've complained yep. about Fernandinho being back at centre-back, I'd have him there over Ottomendi. I'd have him there over Garcia or Howard Beres or anyone else they would think of putting there. So I don't blame Pep so much for that at the moment, perhaps. But yeah, that was an avoidable mistake. Ryan,
0: I've got an an opportunity for you here. We saw Luke Shaw at centre-back for Man United uh, this weekend. Uh, City can have him, we'll just say like £70 million. Luke Shaw goes to Man City, how about that? Um, am
1: I sanctioning this? Is
0: am I in charge? Yeah, yeah. It? it's on you. It's on you now. Sure, yeah. mm-hmm. sure. <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> thanks, Ryan. <laughs> um, but we we would expect that Pep Guardiola to be in charge of the transfer By policy. By the way, uh, uh, Pep
1: Guardiola just heard a, a fallback being offered to him, and his little alarm went off, and he's, he's just he's just gone <laughs> to get his chequebook. <laughs>
0: It's it's the way it works, man. It's the way it works. Um, but he also did make clear that he plans to stay. Uh, he he said, uh, like, I think reiterating, like I, I have, as I have said before, and I will say again, like I, I have no plans of leaving. I will be here uh, this season and next season or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I do believe him. But do, does that give you any solace as a sort of? of of a person who not necessarily a fan of man city but has a nominal interest in manchester city do you feel like pep guardiola is the one to kind of maybe help with the rebuild to get things back on track for man city so that they can challenge next season because it's worth noting we are still talking about the team that are the reigning champions Mm. won the premier league uh back to back now they're having a bit of an off season but it does feel like though they're having a bit of a dip it will be guardiola to sort of be there at the helm to bring them back up to where we'd expect them to be
1: yeah i'm not a fan of man city but i'm a fan of pep guardiola and i like Mm. having him in Premier League and I'd like for that to continue and the narrative of course is that he burns teams out after three or four years and they have to you know have, have to move on from him and he has to move on from them but I hope that what he's saying is sincere and that he could be part of a rebuild and he could sort of for the first time stay long term at a club and, uh, and keep going because you know this isn't a bad team they just had a, I think the Laporte the, the injury has basically wrecked their season here and made them uncompetitive and if that didn't happen and they weren't naive enough to not replace him in the summer or get back up back up in the summer then this could have been a very different story this season so I hope he's being sincere but at the same time when he's asked if he's going to stay what else is he going to say at this point in January
0: yeah I'm going to go just, nah I've had enough I'm out <laughs>
1: yeah. on another sabbatical <laughs>
0: um, but the, the the draw for Liverpool or excuse me the draw for City the point for City uh, keeps them in second place Liverpool obviously top of the table 64 points uh, City second on 48 Leicester City uh, surprisingly lose to Burnley this weekend mm. they remain in third with 45 Chelsea in fourth with 39th and then a whole bunch of other teams uh, rounding that one out uh, that is our maybe conversation about the Premier League. Ryan, should, should we move to Spain? Let's talk Spain for a moment. Let's talk Real Madrid 2, Sevilla 1. I'm going to say this game is all about Casemiro, but before I launch into that, I wanted to hear if you have some thumbs on this one or just some thoughts on this one.
1: Uh, this game was all about Casemiro. I can confirm that. He had right. the brace in this one. He was he was uh, involved in the, other, in the other goal, too,
0: unfortunately. Was. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, that's what I found so interesting about this game is that he was like, I'm going to give us the lead, then I'm going to sort of give them the lead. There's the equalizer and then i'm gonna give us the lead again
1: exactly yes he, he's all over the place in this game and for a defensive midfielder he does get around doesn't he and i i, I was uh <laughs> i was interested to learn that he was a striker when he was on trial in brazil at sao paulo mm-hmm. as well so that was uh, that sort of explains a lot here but i mean this this i saw this game described as the kind of game that wins leagues when you play like this, basically. Hard fault. Tr- this is a hard full game. Sevilla, when, when, when Real Madrid meets Sevilla, it's almost always typically the home side that wins. Real Madrid hardly ever win in Sevilla. 14 of the last 16 meetings have been won by the home team. Some context there. Real Madrid broke that streak earlier this season with a very hard fought 1-0, which uh, could have gone either way, to be fair. And this was a, this was a Real Madrid team with no, no Ramos, no Valverde, Hmm, why is he not there? No Hazard, hmm. no Bale, uh, uh, Benzema not at, not at one hundred percent either, and still they managed to pull this out against a team they traditionally find very hard to beat. And you know they're seventeen games unbeaten in a row now. Uh, they, they, they got you know they're they, they're doing very very well. All things considered, I would say, and we don't maybe we don't give Zidane enough credit.
0: I think I think you're probably right, as strange as that is to say, about a manager who won uh, the Champions League three times in a row and right. has been brought back in to sort of steady the ship again and seems to be doing just that. And you're absolutely right, that he's missing some key performers, uh, and yet they're able to find a way to win. And it's worth noting to find a way to win through a player that has been a consistent performer for Zinedine Zidane. Casemiro with the opening goal, a really deft little chip. Uh, I don't think oh, there's nice. much that uh, Vlachsek, the goalkeeper, could have done about that one because it's just so well-placed, so well-controlled to then set himself up to to place it so well. Uh, A lovely goal there. And then just a powerful header where he keeps sort of doing the little teeny adjusting that you would expect from a a veteran striker where he keeps kind of moving to make sure he's got a little bit of space, a little bit of separation, and then he meets that ball well, powers into the back of the net, makes up for maybe a double uh, defensive mistake uh, in Sevilla's goal where he misses, I believe, the first tackle on Munir, then misses the second tackle on Luke de Jong when Luke de Jong ends up scoring
1: and he ends up on his butt
0: yeah so it's thumbs up thumbs down thumbs up I think that (laughs) averages out to thumbs up for Casemiro
1: yeah definitely and I also can I also say I'd like to give a bit of credit to Luka Jovic who uh Mm -hmm. gave an amazing sort of assist for the first Casemiro goal as well and that's this is a player who's been sort of out in the wilderness a little bit in the last few games I feel like I've seen a lot more positive stuff from from Jovic as well so good stuff from him
0: uh, good stuff from Real Madrid. Uh, they remained second uh, in the table. Barcelona remained ahead. Uh, they they keep their winning ways alive. So 43 points for both teams. Uh, a, a goal difference of 27 for Barcelona, 25 for Madrid. Uh, they drew their uh, Clasico earlier in the year. So you would expect that the remaining Clasico is going to be slightly, slightly dramatic. Uh, and it probably will be those uh, two squads battling for the title, given that Atleti dropped points as well this weekend. They're in third on 35. Sevilla remained fourth on 35 as well so well done to Casemiro well done to Zinedine Zidane but well done to Barcelona and Real Madrid both uh, for a solid weekend Uh, I don't have much else to say about Spain right now because it was a a hectic weekend we were in Baltimore we were driving back yesterday we didn't get to watch quite as much as we normally do so I want to leave it open to you though Ryan if you've got other stuff to say about anything from Spain
1: Uh, I'm done with Spain I'm itching to move on to uh, the Bundesliga however
0: let's let's move to the Bundesliga we initially thought we would be talking about Schalke's 2-0 win over Borussia Mönchengladbach a result that sees Gladbach fall further down the table keeps Schalke in the European places Mm -hmm. not quite in the Champions League places yet but Weston McKinney wasn't involved so who cares let's talk (laughs) Augsburg 3 Dortmund 5 Dortmund come back from uh, being 3-1 down in the 55th minute and a big reason for that comeback is Mr. Holland. let's talk about his uh, appearance for Dortmund in this game
1: Yeah, so he had quite a good debut game for Borussia Dortmund. It transpires, Mm -hmm. doesn't it? He came on as a 55th minute substitute. And uh, I know, absolutely. Uh, Came on as a 55th minute substitute and got his hat trick within 23 minutes. A rather good performance here. Uh, I think he played 34 minutes, had three shots. Uh, Those three shots were all on target. Three goals. One hat trick, we're going to call that. Roy Keane somewhere is rolling over in his grave. Uh, He's not dead. He just, I think, he sleeps in a grave. Um, And (laughs) it's it's a a really, really impressive performance here. And I I was reading up on Harlan's release clause because I I believe Dortmund triggered his release clause. Was it which was about was it Mm twenty?
0: Uh, his release uh, with, 17 to 20, yeah, something in there.
1: Right. So his, his Dortmund release clause is 60. And I'm thinking, Ooh. how quickly is that bad boy going to be triggered? Because uh, yeah. it's, it's very exciting times. From, uh, Marco Royce before the game, uh, in yep. fact, in the training camp in Mallorca, said, I don't think we've had this kind of striker since Robert Lewandowski. And having mm-hmm. watched this game, I'm like, yeah, I can see why you said that, Marco. Very good. As
0: can as can I. Uh I'll talk about Marco Royce in a moment because he is an important part of the narrative for this one. But uh for uh, Erling Holland, it is his debut. In thirty four minutes to get that hat trick, that's impressive. But I think doubly impressive because again in terms of the narrative this was about as good of a debut as you can get because you look at the way it was going uh, earlier with uh you had augsburg taking the lead i think two nil then it's three to one and th- not just that they're ahead and the like dortmund defense looks suspect and needs relief from some attacking options but that you had Mar- marco royce ble- misses two really good opportunities in this one i believe rafael guerrero misses another one mm-hmm. and it sort of shows what dortmund have been lacking they haven't had that killer instinct they haven't had that Robert Lewandowski-esque goal score that you really need. Paco Alcassar has not been able to kind of replicate the form and then keep that form consistent. And so for Holland to come in and on his debut get the hat-trick, but really you could see kind of elevate the attack overall. The second goal for Holland is a tap-in because Jaden Sancho's sort of, excuse me, no, uh, Torgon Hazard squares it to him for the tap-in. Yeah. But again, I think that sort of combination is a bit more strong than what we've seen. And then for Jaden Sancho's goal, Holland is there, uh, could have controlled it himself. Moves away, opens up space, takes a defender with him. The square ball was on, but Jadon Sancho finishes well. But I think Holland is the type to elevate his game to score big goals, to be clinical. His first goal, in contrast to those misses from Rice and Guerrero, is what his like second or third touch. I think he scores it from a really tight angle, yeah. puts it far corner, side netting, far post. Great goal from him, but like precision finishing without really picking his head up. And you can just see how he is going to be a massive figure for Dortmund and is maybe maybe just calming things down for Lucien Favre just a little bit.
1: It seems like he's, uh, a stay of execution might be a, a, a polite way of saying how, how well um, his, his fortune might be changing with Haaland in the side. And my hot take on this game, Tete, is that Jaden Sancho was a far better player and had a better game. Absolutely. Because he was incredible in this game. Um, my favourite moment was for Dortmund's second goal. Yeah. That little touch, the little assist. It's, it's absurd. He threads through three defenders. Three defenders he beats with this single touch into Haaland. Oh, it was beautiful. And his goal was really well taken down as well. The amazing little takedown and finish from him there. And it just seems like for, for, for Sancho's goal as well, which came after that amazing assist... He, he just seemed to run twice as fast as the defenders. Yep. He seemed like he was on double speed compared to the others. And I know that... Uh, this game was about bad defending in, in in a certain way, and Augsburg's high line was just caught out continually five times, in fact, by uh, by Borussia Dortmund yep. in this game. So we've got to give us uh, that that's a concession to the fact that Augsburg let a lot of this happen with their defensive line and let letting people run through. But Sancho getting through like that, it just looked
0: incredible. And yeah, just, it was it was telling for it's the third goal uh, that he scores that when he he celebrates, he sort of jogs away, stops, and points all the way to the other end of the field. Uh, all the way back to the end of the field where Mount Hummels is because that's who gets the assist for that yeah. one. Uh, you're absolutely right. Augsburg's <laughs> line a bit high on that. that but high. I think for Jaden Sancho, uh, for other like w- wide, more creative attacking players for Dortmund, like, I- Not obviously not in the Bundesliga, not to this level at all, so I apologize for using my amateur experience as an example here, but I've been in those games when you sort of, you know you're missing that one attacking piece and you kind of can't rely on the striker that's there so it makes everybody else maybe try a bit more than they should be, they're not so focused on the kind of combination play it doesn't let them have the individual moments because they're essentially trying to do their own uh, position, but then also maybe trying to help with the goals just a bit more than they would otherwise Mm. and then you bring in Holland, and sort of that pressure is alleviated and suddenly, here's this player who's clinical and can score and is big and can knock the ball down but can open up space for you. And it allows you, if you're Jaden Sancho, to just do Jaden Sancho things without also thinking about, but maybe I need to be a bit of a center forward. And I think that freedom is really on display in in both his goal and his assist uh so i think definitely thumbs up to Jaden sancho yeah. but maybe even another thumb uh, up for uh er- erling Haaland.
1: definitely yeah two thumbs there and just i i've got this theory that Bruce Lee dortmund are the best team for a neutral fan i don't think there's any better team in the world to watch for a neutral fan because they sh- they shed loads of goals in but they they try and score even more and that's fantastic from an entertainment perspective but just look at their look at their attacking options you've got Marco Royce, Jadon Sancho, Thor Nazar, Erling Haaland now, Julian Brandt, uh, Mario Gertz is in there somewhere. It, it, imagine having all that potential in you, your team, and you so forgot young. somebody. And uh, uh, there's another one. I know. And there's, you forgot somebody. There's uh, Erling Haaland at 19 years old. There's Jadon Sancho yeah. who's 19 as well. Julian Brandt's only 23, young lad from uh, from these United States. Tate. Oh.
0: Who's that? Who's, I hadn't heard of this fellow.
1: He's named Giovanni Reina. He's yeah, 17 right. as well. He got himself a start in this game. Uh, coming through from, I think he's been in the academy about six months. He's been promoted through for this one. He was involved in the build-up for the fifth goal as well, wasn't he, for this one? He had, he had a nice little uh, appearance here. But for him to be among, basically, these highly prolific teenagers uh, in this forward attacking line, very, very exciting for Reina, very, very exciting for Borussia Dortmund.
0: PSG versus Dortmund is going to be bonkers. It's it's going to be bonkers. Uh, and I think you're absolutely right. This, is, this Dortmund team is just so much fun to watch from a neutral perspective because they have such amazing attackers, but they also have an occasionally incredibly fragile back line. So to your point, they... May win the game four nil. They might win it six four. Yep. Uh, but you can expect goals are going to happen. Uh, so I'm absolutely excited uh, for that, that Champions League uh, matchup. But I am also very excited to see, as you said, Giovanni Rana make his debut for Borussia Dortmund. I would say overall a pretty strong weekend for Americans uh, in Europe, or at least a, at the very least a decent weekend. Uh, Alfredo Morales was was very involved in for Dusseldorf as they lose one 0 to Verte Bremen. Uh, John Brooks has a good game for Wolfsburg. But I want to focus on four individually, and I want to ask you, Ryan, who you think maybe had the best weekend for whatever reason. We've got Gio Reyna making his uh, Bundesliga debut, uh, subs on for Torgan Hazard in the 72nd minute. We've got Indiana Vasilev making his debut for Aston Villa. He comes on in the 67th against Brighton. He does make a run late that opens up a little space that allows uh, the equalizing goal for Jack Grealish in that one, so a good run from him. Tyler Adams plays 90-plus in a 3-1 win that keeps Leipzig, Leipzig top of the table, and uh, aforementioned Werder Bremen, Josh Sargent. He goes 86 minutes in a 1-0 win. He's not involved in the goal, but he is heavily involved throughout, leading the line, being physical up top. Uh, who do you think Ryan had the best weekend overall? It's a
1: tough question, Tay-Tay, because obviously Adams and Sargent, were kind of used to them getting regular game time. It's wonderful that they keep doing so. But uh, these two these two debutants, is who I'm focusing on here. Vasilev. I think that's fair. With, uh, with Villa there, as you say, putting in a good performance in the last uh, third of that game. I've got to give it to Gio Reyna, though, Tete just because of the nature of this win, because he had a contribution to the final goal there. Because at 17 years and 66 days old, he's the youngest American to play in the Bundesliga. I'm very excited for his future. and He's got a lovely little backstory as well. So um, I, I, his, my vote goes to uh, Mr. Reyna, junior.
0: You see, you've swayed me now because I, I was going to disagree with you, but I think the the age the age point right there is a is a pretty strong one. I, I still was very very pleased to see Indiana Vasilev uh, make his debut. Such I think I might vote well. for him. not good. Name? It really is, right? Yeah, even though he's named after the dog. I mean, uh, Raynor
1: is a very good name too, as well. Let's be
0: fast. Yeah. Geo in Indiana seems like a, a, a good partnership for the future for the national team. Uh, <laughs> but I think for Vasilev, that's a player who has been in the Total Soccer Show scouting network uh, for a long, 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 long time, but has never really seemed like he was going to crack into that Villa And when Villa get relegated. It sort of felt like, oh, okay, it's going to be sort of a player that we've seen before from an American perspective of, like, kind of comes through a team that's okay in the Premier League but then gets relegated maybe he gets loaned out and then we end up seeing him make a lot of League One appearances and yet Vasilev starts in the Premier League I believe becomes the second youngest American to play in the Premier League ever mm. is nominally involved in the equalizing goal and I think because he's been there for so long and has worked so hard that's why maybe he stands out to me but I think you could even make the argument going the opposite way that Gio Reyna, having such a short time with the Dortmund senior team and already impressing to the point where he makes his debut uh, I should note I uh, will probably put in a correction but we talked about that Dortmund game before, like sort of after it had happened when we were still at the convention but without knowing anything that had happened and I think in that show I said like oh he's on the bench but with everybody else they had on the bench they've got so much firepower I don't imagine he played at all but it's cool to see him on the bench so I can say I'm already wrong so that's fun oh so, you didn't uh, so, so maybe any, um,
1: you didn't get any story time with Daryl in the car reading reading you uh, from his
0: iPad Sadly, no. I mean, that would have been nice. Uh, Storytime with Daryl is always pleasant. Uh, (laughs) Although I I have uh, been reliably informed by both Daryl and every, like many, many other English people with Daryl around and without Daryl around that, uh, I guess the West Midlands accent is not the prettiest English accent seems to be the prevailing opinion. Yep. Confirmed. I think
1: I've, I think (laughs) I've said that on this, on this podcast before. You probably have. I don't see, I don't hear Daryl as As West Midlands, I don't don't hear him as the Birmingham, as the Peaky Blinders. (laughs) I hear him more as like a a Sheffieldy Northern which is much more pleasant.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. All right, I think he'll take that. Uh but we'll find out and uh if he's back on the show with you, we'll we'll, we'll let him uh tell you what he thinks of your accent appraisals. Uh <laughs> but until then, Ryan, thank you for talking uh young Americans with me. Thank you for talking Bundesliga and Spain, a lot of Premier League, and maybe helping me uh vent emotionally about the current state of Manchester United.
1: Always a pleasure. Never a joke.